Hello and welcome to the 2022 AFL season and welcome to another season of Footy Time. My name is Johnny Raff and I'm joined by the man with the plan, Mr. Daniel Andrews. Dan, it's nearly footy time. It is almost footy time and hopefully it's a different plan to what the plan a different Daniel Andrews had. But uh, <laughs> footy time's back, so that's the main thing, yeah? That is the main thing. So let's size this thing up. Today we're going to be going through three things each that we're most looking forward to in season 2022. And then time permitting, we'll have a look at some of the big games of round one and some of the big moments. So without any further delay, let's get into the first point. This is one of yours, Dan, and it is fans back at the footy. Dan, how great is it going to be to be back at the G? Yeah, well, the last time we were at the G, we were actually there together for that Giants game where it looked like things weren't so rosy for Melbourne. They ended up losing that game despite dominating the inside 50s. And yeah, little did we know that that was going to be our last time we stepped in the G for what ultimately turned out to be a premiership winning season. Yeah, yeah, not the greatest day. Um, Yeah, a lot of us left sort of scratching our heads and wondering if maybe we'd blown our top four chance, but... uh, yeah, it's fun to look back on those days now, isn't it? I guess, like, the thing is that, you know, even though we kind of got locked out of the second half of the season, we still have those memories of the first half of the season that we can point to and say, yeah, you know, I was going to the footy in a premiership year. So I think that's really good. And, yeah, the reason I had this on my list was just hopefully there's a little bit more normality in the season and, uh, you know, people are able to get back to their, you know, uh, weekend rituals of going to the footy the way they like to, not necessarily having to book a ticket all the time, although it seems like you'd still have to do that for the MCC for some reason. But, yeah, just getting people back to the footy, a bit more back to normality, it'll be fantastic, and hopefully we can get some bigger crowds as well. Do you think we'll get big crowds first up, or do you think there'll be some who might still be a bit cagey on public places and maybe a wait-and-see approach? Yeah, I was surprised a couple of the bigger games I went to last year, in particular that Richmond-Melbourne one. I think there was only about 55,000. And, like you know, that's one of the biggest games in terms of, like, the Anzac Day Eve stuff. And I was expecting a bigger crowd. So I think you'd be naive to say that the crowds are definitely just going to rebound straight away. I don't think it'll be as big a problem as last year, but I think there will still be some growing pains with that. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think that you would mainly see people who are you know chomping at the bit to get back to the footy, but I think that you know it might knock off a few thousand. Uh, there might be some that just, yeah, I guess, with the approach to the vaccination, really, just uh, those who are sort of just waiting to see how things will go, and then they might jump in. But ultimately, I think we'll see we'll see some crowds back. I think you know Melbournians love their sport; they love their footy. I think everyone's everyone's gagging for it. Yeah, absolutely. After not having it for like the second half of the season, particularly for Melbourne, I think there will be a lot of people who just want to go to a lot of games of footy this year and hopefully we'll have that opportunity. Absolutely, 100%. Now, yeah, obviously we're pretty thrilled to all be back at the footy uh, with uncapped crowds. Uh, but obviously, everyone do your bit. You know, use the sanitizer, have a mask handy when you can't distance, all that sort of stuff. Um we all want to make sure we're doing the right thing. On to the next point now, which is my first, and we may as well stick with the COVID theme, and that <laughs> is a non-COVID interrupted season. Dan, you're not in the crystal ball business, but at <laughs> this point in time, can you see an AFL season that will be 
relatively unscathed and not any big match postponements, hubs, doubling up rounds for certain teams in certain states. Is there a chance we can get through this fairly clean? I think there is with the level of COVID we have in Australia, although no doubt there'll be like the winter wave of more infections. But, you know, outside of 10 or more players coming down with COVID in a team, like it's just going to be business as usual. That's the messaging from the AFL. They're going to allow teams to sign up extra players to be on sort of like this COVID waiting list type thing if they need to draw players in from that. So I think it's just going to be, if it can go on, it will go on. So there's not going to be any more of this postponement. Um, You know, even WA is opening up now, so there shouldn't really be the need for hubs or anything like that. So outside of, you know, some of the better players or some of the first choice players missing games through, um, you know, COVID protocols or having the virus themselves, I think it will largely be business as usual, at least as much business as usual as you can have while COVID's still around. Absolutely. Um, And like, do you think that people might now look at this as, as close to the norm as we've had and, you know, it's not going to, you're not going to have people thinking that this isn't a real season. I mean, uh, I find personally it's it's not a big deal, but you get the odd, you know, nutter opposition fan saying that last season wasn't a real season or it requires an asterisk. I mean, first of all, to those people, you're not being creative. You're not being funny. Uh, I'm looking forward to the first little blip of this season where a minor adjustments needed that wouldn't have happened in pre-2020 and I expect all of you from the cheap seats to be there. No. <laughs> but um, look, I'm just I'm just a bit tired of, of talking about this. It, it happened. Let's deal with it. You know, life's not going to go completely back to how it was, Dan. I mean, it'll get close, but not immediately. Um, let's just get on with it. Yeah, I think the idea that any of, well, the premierships in the last two years are less valuable. I think, if anything, they're more valuable. <laughs> there, there was so much more these clubs had to deal with. I don't know how anyone could say that, you know, there's an asterisk really. Maybe there is an asterisk and maybe it's actually a good thing because it's actually a harder premiership to win than in previous years. I think those two seasons in 2020 and 2021 were much harder than things usually are. And um, yeah, it takes away from the teams that work really hard and obviously they had to do a lot more in these seasons. So yeah, I agree. I think they were much harder to win these ones and they should get the credit for them. Especially that Richmond one, I think. Like that there was so much like hubbing for them and like they'd spent so much time away from their families. It's just yeah, I don't think you can put it a measurement on how much more difficult that one was. And then for Melbourne as well, like having to play essentially three home finals interstate. Uh, you know, no hope no fi- interstate game is easy to win and yeah, they just rose to the occasion obviously and got the job done so you can only do what's put in front of you but the idea that these premierships are worth less in any way seems a bit crazy to me absolutely uh and you should be giving credit to those teams that work hard all right we come to our next point and i'm really intrigued by this one it's one of yours dan it is the birth of the center bounce goal run as a zone buster dan the floor is yours <laughs> We're going to get a little bit technical here. So we saw throughout stretches of last season, it was really difficult for teams to put on a decent score. Would you agree, Johnny? Absolutely, uh, especially with some of the defensive systems. 
So defense became a huge part of the game. You know, you, coaches weren't wanting to put too much into the attack in a way that actually compromised what they could do on defense. So everyone got to a certain level of defense, which meant that there was probably only, you know, somewhere around six teams who are actually good at putting a score on the board. Like everyone was scoring, but you know, there's levels here, right? So I don't know. I don't have the numbers on this, but one of the things that really started to stand out to me in the last sort of six weeks of the season was what's the best way to basically put on score. Well, it's two things, right? We've talked about this before. You can score very quickly after the opposition score a goal, right? Why is that? Because he goes back to the center. You have a chance to get it straight in. The structures aren't set up, so you can six, score six, that six. way. Yeah. So there was an Essendon game I remember we reviewed. I think it was against Sydney where they just, they think they scored like seven or eight goals out of center bounce that game. So I think this is going to be a really important part of the strategy going forward for teams, just having the ability to actually maximize the center clearances they're getting and, uh, you know, whatever configuration they need in their forward line to actually make it work. Because it's actually the only time in the whole game where you basically aren't necessarily being dictated to by the opposition. You can control what you're trying to do, bring it out of the center, and it's one-on-ones, basically. And uh, if you get it right a few times in a row, you can put on a lot of goals quickly. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if teams are tuned into this a bit. And maybe one of the big differentiators is going to start becoming how much you can actually score from center bounce. We saw it in the grand final and in the penultimate part of the grand final uh, when Melbourne were getting some key takeaways. Um, Dan, I think we're going to hear the phrase hold the width a lot more this year. Um, one thing that was very obvious with the Ds last year was the work they put in to become a more cohesive unit in the middle. Uh, the knock on them was always that they were the ball hunters, they were bees to the honeypot, they got in each other's way, etc. It wasn't working. Watching them now, they almost instinctively know when to go, when to hold the width and make an outside option. It's a real impressive part of their game now. And I think we'll see a lot of teams work on this. Um, I'm hearing that Michael Voss has come and brought this approach into the Carlton mids. Uh, I think we'll see a lot of teams work on this. And if there's one way to beat a zone, it's kicking it through the big sticks, uh, preferably from outside 50. (laughs) So, yeah, I think we'll definitely see this a lot more. Yeah, so we know the ball is the most dangerous coming inside 50 when it's quick, and essentially the quickest way to bring it in is by getting a clear takeaway the front of the stoppage. So so there were some teams that were pretty good at this, but yeah, like you said, there's no better example than what Melbourne did. They were just torching Geelong at various stages of that prelim through the middle, and you know the third quarter bursts by Melbourne against the Bulldogs in the grand final, that'll live long in the memory for a lot of supporters and, you know, non-supporters alike. It's just powerful football. If you can put on a spurt of, you know, three to five goals aided by some of these center bounce goals and just getting the momentum in that way, you know, in a game that you might only be kicking 10 or 12 goals, it's invaluable. And I'd be surprised if other teams weren't looking at ways to try and maximize that area a little bit. And, you know, it is dependent on Ruckman a little bit and, you don't necessarily need to have the best ruckman, but you just need to not be clearly like losing that ruck contest to allow your midfielders to go to work, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, we saw a lot of uh, analysis on this, I guess, after the grand final last year. A lot of YouTube channels and that really just analysing this to within an inch of its life. Um, the, the 
work around the stoppage and the the strategy, uh, how the team's set up, but also the types of hitouts. I mean, you know, some hitouts going forward of the centre, some going close, some collapsing inwards. I mean, yeah, it, it, there's just going to be, I think, even more analysis on this area. I think one thing teams do do is they try and come out of the back of the stoppage quite a bit. I suppose that's, you know, the more conservative way mm. to do it. But if you do that, you're definitely giving the opposition more time to fold back a little bit and actually giving them more chance to actually sort of pressurise you coming out of that. Whereas if you can get it a little bit cleaner and you're sort of coming out either the side or the front of the stoppage, then, you know, you can get sort of three or four steps on the opposition before they've even reacted, really. And we saw that with uh, yeah Melbourne, obviously. But uh, it will be interesting to see whether teams are a little take, willing to take that little bit more risk to try and get one of these cleaner center bounce takeaways because we've seen that the value of center bounces you know takeaways sometimes they're not actually that valuable because you just sort of get a hack kick forward and you know intercept mark anyway so would you rather be getting less center bounce clearances but the more valuable ones or do you go for that like approach where you just try to maximize the number of times you're getting it out of there you know what i mean there's it's almost like there's different levels to the clearance they're not all created equally no they're not um i guess for a long time we've all just been conditioned to thinking that uh, if you have a good contested ball winning team that's what it's about it's about clearance numbers and getting it out as much as you can and it doesn't matter how you do it just uh just get it out and throw it on the boot and get forward but uh um you know we've seen a number of games uh, especially that gws one that we went to last year i mean where you know Melbourne were winning a lot of the ball out of the middle and just sending it down the opposition's throat. I mean, it's it's not just about getting it in. It is the type of ball that's coming in, and uh, yeah, I think um, you know, you know, it it is quality over quantity. I mean, uh, you know, you got hitouts to advantage. Um, maybe clearances to advantage is one that could be yeah, that'd be an interesting something one. that might be seen. Would be a good one to have a look at. But yeah, I I know David King actually mentioned four things that were big predictors he thought of what was going to be success in 2022 just off the top of my head i don't exactly know how they were um gonna you know the ins and outs of each one of these but it was basically their measure of attack their measure of defense points from uh stoppage versus minus points against from stoppage that's kind of what we're talking about there being out of damage from stoppage and there was one more uh i think it was uh post clearance contested possession so basically mm. once it gets outside of that you know very congested part being able to yeah. win the ball after that so yeah yeah it'll be good to see interesting stuff there hopefully some teams will uh get a bit better at this because we might have a few more goals <laughs> <laughs> okay so on to the next one uh it's one of mine and i'm well aware that i'm probably one of the only people that cares about this but it's footy on tv in 4k definition Dan, I know what this means to me, but uh, does this excite you? Does it not excite you? Does it bore you? Do you not really have any feeling about it at all? Uh, what do you think? I was very surprised when I saw this on the rundown, Johnny, to be honest. <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll contribute something, but I think we're going to have to throw to you to get the, the oh, ins and outs of this. No so, worries. yeah, I'm one of these people who doesn't really think there's a huge amount of difference between the levels of definition, but 
in saying that, like, if you compare, you know, what you can get on KO just as a standard and then go back and watch, like, an AFL game on, like, an analog TV, not that there's many of those around now, but they are very, very different. So there is definitely something to be said for, you know, getting a better viewing experience by, you know, up, upping the pixel count. But I do think at the same time as that, like, it gets to a certain level where, you know, the improvement you make, how many people are actually going to sort of, you know, be paying attention to that and really notice it. But yeah, maybe I just haven't seen enough of it to know the benefits. So do you want to tell myself and the listeners about all the uh, wonderful things that 4K is going to bring to us? Apparently there's going to be a lot more of it on sort of KO slash Foxtel. Yeah, well, look, like I said, I'm probably in the minority on this. Uh, I'm a bit of a video snob, Dan. I like my high-quality TV viewing. Uh, you know, having worked with video and audio um, in the past, it's it's definitely something that I take seriously. Um, but I think this is a big step forward for the AFL product. Uh, you know, 4K TVs are becoming a lot more affordable now. And uh, if the AFL wants this to be a TV product, then why not have the best video resolution available? Uh, I mean, it's not just about TVs now. It's about optimizing uh, the, the the platform on certain devices like phones, tablets. Uh, KO is actually one that does it very well, I think. Uh, from what I've seen, you get a very good stream. Um, some of the others I've used, such as Optus Sport, they kind of rely on the best. Uh, it's a bit like YouTube. They kind of rely on the best uh, sample available at the time. Uh, but yeah, I think KO is definitely one platform that does it very well. Um Something else I'd like to see eventually would be some other features like down the ground footage, I think. Um, yeah, that would be really yeah, good. Yeah, I think that would be really good from a strategic point of view, but uh, probably wishful thinking at this stage. Yeah, I think uh, if it's available, um, why not have it? I mean, the AFL clearly wants to be a TV product, so why not have the best? I mean, look, I am someone that... Uh, <laughs> I If I'm watching a standard definition game... Uh, it, it really bothers me to the point where I'd actually rather turn it off and listen to the game on the radio. <laughs> yeah, that's how bad I am. But uh, it's probably not a huge issue. But I think uh, if you're going to present the product in the best way possible, also for the international audience, um, yeah, why not go for it? No, but I, I get what you're talking about. Like you get used to a certain level with your viewing experience, and if the AFL, you know, isn't for whatever reason isn't living up to what you get from you know other platforms then it is going to turn a certain percentage of people off so i agree that it is important to keep adding these sorts of things that's it uh, it's important to do these things to you know keep up the level of optics and get those eyeballs internationally if we want to grow the game so on to the next point and this is one of yours dan and to be honest i think it's one of all of ours and that is a grand final at the mcg Dan, it's been two years without a grand final at the G. Time to bring it home. It is time to bring it home. So, yeah, I think probably one of the biggest things I've missed over the last two years with everything that's been going on is just the experience of having a grand final in Melbourne, everything that goes into that, you know, meeting up with people before and after the game, those conversations, physically being at the MCG with 100,000 other people with so much anticipation and yeah. build up and just the ferocity of a grand final in person at the MCG. I did go to the grand final at the Gabba and it was a great experience, but it just wasn't the same. You didn't get quite the same buzz like you do at the MCG mm. with that, you know, Coliseum like uh, 
quality that it has really and you know just that being around that many passionate football supporters so and yeah unfortunately I didn't get to go over to Perth to see Melbourne do their thing and yeah that actually broke my streak I'd been to every grand final uh (laughs) since 2010 yeah 2010 the first grand final I saw was the draw between Collingwood and St Kilda been to everyone since and yeah as luck would have it uh COVID cost me my streak and also (laughs) it cost me the ability to see the Melbourne win but not not better, not better. Uh, look forward to going to many more grand finals. And I know, like, I'm in a very privileged position here. My parents put me down to the MCC when I was born, and uh, you know, the redevelopment and everything meant I got my membership earlier than a lot of people. So uh, definitely not whinging. But uh, yeah, it would have been great to experience that. But you know, onwards and upwards, many more years to enjoy. And mm. yeah, I just think for everyone who lives in Melbourne, it's a special time of year when the finals. Uh, happening and you know the grass is getting a little bit greener there's a bit more sunshine around so yeah it's a great time of year and sure is. hopefully uh we can be spared the covid uh that time of year in a way that would actually you know prevent that happening but that's what we're looking that's what i'm looking forward to as much as i want you know a regular season that will go off without a hitch what i really want is to enjoy those finals and hopefully melbourne is there or thereabouts but really it's just getting back to the finals at the MCG is what it's all about for me. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of people like you, Dan, who, uh, you know, they just, they go to the grand final each year, regardless of if, whether the team's playing or not. And, you know, it's just, they're just true Melbournians. They love sport. They love seeing a, a good a good game. Um, it's just, it's the tradition. And it'll be great for them to reconnect with it. It's the crown jewel, I think, for a lot of Melbournians, the fact that, you know, got the MCG, got the grand final, and you can always count on there being, you know, plus 95k supporters in there. And it's just a huge build up the whole week. But ultimately, it's just about what happens inside the walls of Mm. that ground on that day. And, you know, I used to always imagine what it was like as a kid. And back then, I didn't really think I would actually be going to these games because, yeah, for whatever reason, I wasn't really that clued in that I'd been put on the waiting list for the MCC and all this sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, like it's just something I think when you're younger, you do sort of aspire to see these like hugely meaningful games that you think, you know, are going to sort of live forever in one way or another. And yeah, I guess to yeah. get to experience yeah. that over and over is just the ultimate joy for me as a footy supporter. As far as I'm aware, the grand final this year is has been confirmed as a day grand final. Do you think going into the future we'll stay at that 2.30pm time slot? Or do you think the genie's sort of out of the bottle now? Do you think... What the AFL has seen with their two night grand finals, it's going to be very hard for them to just completely ignore that and go back to 2.30. I think, you know, if you polled the people going to the game and you're really the people, most people in Melbourne that are footy supporters, I'd say there'd be, I don't know, somewhere around 80% plus would be saying, give us the day grand final. And I don't know, you might disagree with that, Johnny, but I think that's... No, no, I think that's a fair assumption. That's the prevailing opinion, but I guess we've got to realise it's not just about Melbourne and it's not just about Australia even. Like, this is a global product now and for the AFL to, you know, make Mm. the maximum amount of money that's going to the return to the clubs, further development, further expansion, just existing in another hundred years. Like, I think they do need to, you know, look at this from a uh, monetary point of view and see, you know, if they can make 
an extra, you know, however much money by moving it to a twilight slot or a night slot. I think it's almost inevitable. I, personally, I would love it to stay at 2.30 forever, but it's just not going to happen, unfortunately. I mean, personally for me, I did not enjoy these last two grand finals. I mean, obviously enjoyed last year, but I guess as a neutral, I didn't enjoy uh, that time slot. Uh, it, yeah, it's just, it's a long time to wait to, to get to the game. And, and like, look, the Twilight does give you some kind of compromise. I know that it is a big event and it looks amazing, but uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to go through that too many times, even just as a neutral fan. It's just a... It's a long time to wait. I mean, it's not like you're doing other things during the day. I just, I wouldn't want to see that. I think the twilight would be a good compromise, but yeah, uh, I'm not so sold on the night. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it would, I don't think that would happen. I think they're going to, I think they are going to try this twilight thing at some point. That'll be the sort of halfway house. And depending on the reception they get with that and, uh, you know, how much more money they can make out of having it at sort of that mm. pseudo night slot, then that might be enough. But I think in 10 years' time, more than likely, it will be a night grand final. But maybe we can uh, hang in there for a while with the twilight. Personally, I don't mind the twilight. You know, you're still starting in daylight. It's not going to be too late when it finishes that you're still going to be able to, you know, meet up with people afterwards and enjoy yeah. that yeah. side of things as well. So I quite like the twilight. Personally, yeah, 2.30, but twilight is a good compromise. If uh, we could keep it at that, I'd be willing to <laughs> give that ground there. Yeah, and look, there is some good things about the twilight. I mean, it, there is something kind of cool about the game starting in the daytime in the light and finishing up when it's dark. And yeah, uh, it is yeah. a good spectacle. And I think that that's something that, you know, could be a nice compromise. But it, it does bring me to my next question, actually. After the brilliant spectacle of the Perth Grand Final last year, do you see any potential in maybe rotating it out once every three or four years? Uh, I mean, we you know, we were just saying it's, it's not all about Melbourne. You know, we've got to think about others. And yeah, what do you reckon about that? I think after what we've seen the last couple of years, the answer should be yes, but it still probably isn't. Just with, you know, the contracts that are in place. And, you know, the AFL could try yeah. and rewrite those contracts with the MCC. And, you know, maybe if they extend how long, you know, they're getting it for, I think, what's it up to like 2057 or something yeah, along those what, lines. Yeah. Like, you know, if they're going to give them another 50 years, then maybe they'll let them take it away from the MCG, you know, every fourth year or something. But, you know, I think for what we were talking about before, just the spectacle of it being at the MCG and that experience, mm. and, you know, that's what you sort of want to sell to the world, really. So personally, I hope it doesn't, but, you know, I can definitely see that argument for actually rotating it. And even if it's, you know, every only, only every four or five years, I think it, it definitely would help grow the game, but I'm just not quite sure whether it's in the works. What do you reckon? Yeah, look, I would be open to the grand final moving, you know, every four years or whatever. But um, look, as you said, that's something for the relevant parties to work out. And over a period of time, these things don't get nutted out overnight. Um, but yeah, it's something that they can, you know, be working on in the background. In the meantime, and in 2022, the fact is we need a grand final at the G, plain and simple. Uh, it's just, yeah, as you said, pretty much everything you've just said. It's the, it's the home of football and uh, until that day... Yeah, it comes. It, that's where it needs to be. Yeah. Can we just go back very quickly to the whole like experience of like grand final day and all that, yeah, and absolutely how the how the time slots figure into all that? So I don't know what it was like for you, and maybe we can have a bit of a chat about it now. But for me, it being a night grand final just made it really hard for it to be mm. like grand final day, if you know oh, what yeah. I mean. Like yeah. normally, you know, 
it's not just the grand final. There's you're doing something before, you're doing something yeah. after, you're seeing different people. Definitely. When it's a night thing, it's very hard to do that. Like you can do it, but like to build up from you know nine till six, it's a lot bigger of an ask than to build up from nine till one or nine till two. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. Are you going to have like a pre-grand final lunch? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I guess maybe we would get used to it, but like it to me, it just didn't really feel like grand final day no. on those days. And, you know, maybe that's because, you know, it wasn't grand final day, really. It was grand final night. So not only, you know, you, I think this all comes into it. It's almost like the AFL's selling a piece of its soul to get mm. the extra money. And I'm not saying they shouldn't do it, but I think, there is something they're losing here that's not uh, maybe immediately obvious to everyone. Yeah, look, I totally agree with you there, Dan, and it is a traditional kind of thing. I mean, for a lot of us, I guess, Grand Final Day is the most important day on the calendar after Christmas Day, I guess. Um, You know, and even as a neutral, something I found, even as a neutral, there was always a different feeling about Grand Final Day, even if Melbourne wasn't playing in it. You, you always felt like it was a different day. There was there was something you just always you could really feel it that day. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely that feeling in the air. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I guess up until about 2019, and from I guess as far back as about 2013, 2012, uh, I would be going uh, to see the game with family friends uh, at the Harperveran Hotel in East Q, and it was um, yeah, it was just a tradition. Uh, you know, you'd get up you know, sort of reasonably early, do a few things, and and you'd head over to the pub, uh, you'd watch the game, you'd enjoy it, you'd catch up with people you hadn't seen for a while. Uh, when the players were getting their medals, you'd, you'd have that kind of debrief conversation about the game. Uh, and, yeah, you'd, you'd just have a good chat, you know, maybe have a few more beers. And uh, I just felt like with last year and the year before, you, you can't do that. It's just a different day. It's a nighttime thing. And, um, you know, I just felt like we were... Um, you know, you don't sort of get, I guess, that decompressing time really really, to just like enjoy it and and sink in i mean uh then you've got night time as you said it's a little hard to to go out uh, especially if the if it's going to be a night game and the grand final's finishing at 10 i mean unless you want to go out for an all-nighter or something (laughs) um yeah so you you know you got that to deal with um and yeah just kind of bouncing off the walls (laughs) i reckon yeah you're just you're just missing I, I, i don't know there's just something missing you you don't you know, at least during the day, you've got plenty of time to still do that if you want. But uh, yeah, it's it's just tough. I mean, with a night one, and especially if you know a lot of people that are, you know, blind drunk, and you know, some of them are passed out. You know, by the time the night grand final ends. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, look, it is one of those things. Maybe the twilight is a good compromise, but uh, yeah, just have to get used to it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it, it probably is just going to be one of these things we have to adjust to, but. You know, like you're saying, you what you're describing there, you can do a lot if it's grand final day. I think just the mm. fact that it's grand final night is a bit limiting. Yeah. And like, yeah, there's ways to work around that, but you know, it's not it's far from ideal. Yeah. But yeah. you know, that's probably the future. So we'll get there eventually. And and I'm sure we'll learn to enjoy it in its own way, but it will I think we will look back at this period and think, Oh, you know, how great was it when this was during the day? Like it's good at night as well, but yeah. It's just not quite the same. No, it's not the same. Uh, and, you know, we're all traditionalists, but, uh, yeah, that's the way it is. Uh, we'll just have to enjoy the day grand finals while we still have them. <laughs> it's almost like we're mourning the death of the day grand final before <laughs> it's even gone, but we'll get Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. 
So we come up to the final thing that we're looking forward to in season 2022, and it's one of mine, and it's umpires being harder on holding the ball. They've come out and said they're going to make this a focus this year. Uh, balanced players on their feet will be deemed to have better prior opportunity than unbalanced, I guess. Uh, they're going to pay more attention to prior opportunity in general. Uh, do you think this will stick then? We have heard this before. I would really hope so. Like The whole holding the ball thing has been one of the things that I bring up most with like other football supporters. It's just really quite frustrating, you know, the inconsistency and just not rewarding the tackler at all. And then, like, you get these sort of, like, ones that should be paid and then, you know, the team that's not paid against, you know, goes on and gets a goal. It's just really quite annoying more than anything. And then, yeah, you get these, like, mini crackdowns where they're saying, oh, we're going to do this, this and this. And it happens for a month inconsistently and then it just sort of dissolves away. So, you know, uh, we've got... Brad Scott in there now, maybe things will be different. And, you know, I think even if they get some wrong, a tighter interpretation on holding the ball serves the game well. We don't want players being able to throw it. We want them to have to actually get rid of it. And if they're not doing that satisfactorily, the ball should be turned over, plain and simple, holding the ball. So they're talking about, you know, if you're ducking, it's your prior opportunity straight away. If you fend, prior opportunity straight away. And I think there's just going to be less time for that prior opportunity, basically. So you have less time to get rid of the ball. Players are very good at getting rid of the ball. It should be... I I would just like to see it a bit more of a a common sense thing. I know you have to have like all the checks and balances around it, but... You know, if it looks like holding the small, uh, if it looks like holding the ball and it smells like holding the ball, it's holding the ball. <laughs> love it, love it. Um, yeah. So look, they have come out and they have announced that they will do this, and I would really like to see a focused effort on maintaining it throughout the season. We need to keep the ball moving, and that's where the game is going to be more exciting. It really needs to be as cut and dry as possible. If you duck, if you fend off. If you pump fake, if you do any of these things prior to being legally tackled, that is your prior opportunity and you are gone. It doesn't matter if you weren't able to get rid of it, if your arms were pinned in the tackle, if the ball was pinned to you. This is your prior opportunity. That is it. The game needs to flow on and the ball needs to keep moving. I guess one of the things they've argued over time is that actually by not paying holding the ball, you're actually not stopping the play. So you're letting it flow. You know what I mean? That was kind of those ones I was talking about where the ball actually gets out when it looks like the player should have been penalised and then their team still like gets the advantage, advances forward and sometimes they actually get a goal out of that as well. So like you, you can argue that it's, in some situations, paying holding the ball will actually slow it down. But if it's not... Uh, as long as it's against the team that is actually, you know, trying to get rid of... Like who's attacking, then I don't think it'll be too big of a problem. I mean... It's one of the few free kicks paid to reward a player. I mean, you know, yeah, usually yeah. the free kicks are penalising players. I mean, you, you still are penalised, but it's rewarding a good tackle. So I just feel like we need to see these tackles get rewarded more. And it's it's a free kick that will help the game. It'll help the game flow. And, you know, it's, it'll help with scoring. It'll help make it look more exciting. This is just one of those free kicks that... If you can do this, if you pay this rule correctly, you'll see a better game. Yeah. I guess the other side of the coin is, you know, how hard is it for the umpires to actually adjudicate in this way? And 
like as long as they're looking for the cues, like you doesn't see, sound like it would be that difficult. But you know, yeah, I don't know. I would be like I said before. I'd be in preference of this more sort of just common sense approach. Like you've got these triggers, but if 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 you think it's holding the ball, just play holding the ball. Like players have been getting a free run with this for way too yep, long. Definitely. They stand up in the tackle. They might have you know three or four seconds where it looks like they're kind of half being tackled or like. You know, they just have an eternity to get rid of the ball. So I think tightening that up would be a great move forward. Yeah, and look, all those moments where you see players sort of love tapping the football, not really making any effort <laughs> to get rid of it. Um, yeah, like it's just, I think it's time to just pay this rule and have a focused effort on continuing to pay it. I'd rather see him err on the side of paying more than not paying Absolutely. enough. So that's the six things that we're most looking forward to. What are you most looking forward to in season 2022? We'd love to hear from you, so hit us up on footytimemail at gmail.com. So to finish things up, we're just going to have a quick look at the games we're most intrigued by in round one. Uh, Dan, what's leaping out at you right now when we look at this round? Yeah, there are so many good games here. So I'm not sure whether the AFL actually did this deliberately, but... You know, it's pretty much stacked with like top eight clashes here. So, you know, you got you got Brisbane playing Port, you got the Giants playing playing the Swans, you got the Cats playing Essendon, and obviously Melbourne playing the Bulldogs. I'm pretty sure that's the top eight from last year, isn't it? So, <laughs> so they're gone yeah. big, trying to get people that first you know experience of getting back to the footy. Bang, you're in. You're going to come back hopefully. So maybe that maybe that's a strategy there. So, yeah. you know, it would be uh, remiss of us to talk about the Melbourne game too much. Obviously, it's going to be a big one, getting the uh, flag and all that presented and uh, yep. against the Vanquish Grand Finalist, the Bulldogs. So it kind of goes without saying that's a huge game. So the other one I'm probably looking forward to the most is uh, the Giants and the Swans, the rematch of that elimination final. So everyone expects the Swans to have another good year. Uh, hopefully, well, I guess their supporters would be hoping that they'd improve. And then you've got GWS, who seems to have a relatively clean bill of health and uh, seeing what uh, they can do because, you know, they won that game and uh, they've got a very talented list. So, mm. yeah, I think anytime these two teams play, Johnny, it's always uh, worth watching. And, uh, you know, you got Franklin maybe getting to the 1,000 goals. There's a lot rolled into this game. Yep, there certainly is. The Battle of the Bridge, whether it's rightly called that or not. Uh, it's definitely taken on a renewed meaning in the last few years, and it's become one of the key fixtures to see. I think one that is really, really intriguing me is that Saturday night clash between the Brisbane Lions and Port Adelaide. Uh, there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on this game. I think Port are going to go into this, this game under a bit of pressure. Um, I'm not saying that probably the most under-pressure team for the year, but I definitely think there's going to be a bit of pressure on them for the first month. Um, yeah, after that prelim final loss, they've got a point to prove and, you know, they've got to show what they're made of. Um, it is very hard to ignore the Melbourne and Bulldogs game. I think it's an excellent move by the AFL. Um, I wouldn't have complained if they kept it as the Tigers and the Blues, uh, but it's a sign of the times and it's a good chance for these clubs to get a piece of the blockbuster limelight. The Bulldogs, uh, they're going to be keen to avenge last year's grand final defeat. Melbourne are keen to prove why they are number one. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really good game. 
Yeah, absolutely. Just having earned that right to get top billing, it's great for Melbourne. And, you know, they don't have to win the game. Neither the Bulldogs. It's a round one game. But, you know, you would hope that both teams put up a good performance and, you know, get their season off in a good fashion there. And, you know, you want to win every game. But, you know, you're up against one of the better teams. So no guarantees. And it's a new season. Mm. But just going back to that Port Adelaide-Brisbane game, Briefly, I agree that that is a huge game. You know, Port Adelaide had a shocker in that prelim. And, you know, if they want to show everyone that they are actually a side that you need to take seriously, they need to put in a good performance. Brisbane basically doesn't lose at the Gabba in the regular season. So if they could find a way to win that game, that would be a massive statement to the competition that, yeah, we may not have done the right thing in the prelim, but you got to watch out for us in 2022 because... We're a new and improved team. Yeah, look, and it can happen um, where you put up a bad showing in a prelim and, yeah, the, the blowtorch is on you all summer. Uh, you know, you've got to get, get through a whole preseason and, you know, most people are expecting you to come out in round one and, you know, come out breathing fire. Uh, we remember with Melbourne in the 2018 prelim how, how documented that was and how they didn't review it, um, you know, the last thing Port need is to get off to a bad start and have some of those kinds of stories come out that, oh, you know, they may not have prepared for the next season the, the right way. But, um, yeah, well, I think this is going to be a really good game, going to be a really good test. Uh, quite a lot of people are predicting Brisbane to make it to the grand final this year. So there's definitely big aspirations for both sides. Um, yeah, I think Brisbane will be hard to beat up there. Yeah, Brisbane are really dangerous up there, especially in the regular season. Once they get on top, they can score very quickly. It's a smaller ground, so uh, you can put the score on the board quite quickly if you're winning a few center clearances. So, yeah, that'll be a big one for early uh, indications of how those teams might fare early in the year. And, uh, yeah, I think it's just going to be a huge round. Can Carlton sort of do a bit better against Richmond? Can they win that game, you know, is St Kilda going to put in a better performance? Uh, is Geelong still going to be there or thereabouts? Like, there's so many questions, which you'd expect going into a new season. But, yeah, I think they've done well with the schedule here. A whole bunch of uh, blockbuster games, really. One thing I did hear Lee Montagna say the other day, and I, I thought it was a little silly at the time, but had a bit of a think about it, is he said that um, he thought... The Brisbane small forwards collectively was probably the best, one of the best groups on a list in history. And yeah, like I said, I thought it was a bit silly at the time, but when you look at it, you got Charlie Cameron, obviously, you got Zach Bailey, Lincoln McCarthy, you got uh, Nakia Cockatoo. It's uh, not a bad setup. I mean, when I think of Brisbane's forward line, I think of their key post players and their tools, but. you know, they've got some guys who can do some damage there. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, like, when you pick out a line like that. I think what we're seeing more now in footy these days, you know, you can have strength in one part of your team, but really what matters more, I think, is actually how those uh, players actually feed into the bigger structures. Like, So, you know, on paper, Melbourne's more forwards, Kasaya Pickett, Charlie Spargo, and Alex Neil Bullen. Almost no one would say that that's the best small forward brigade. But what they actually do mm. in terms of team structure, how they complement each other, how they deliver it inside 50, how they put pressure on, 
I would argue that in a lot of ways they're actually more valuable than those guys you just listed from Brisbane. Sure, they're not going to have maybe as many highlights. Pickett is probably the exception to that. But yeah, I think it is interesting when you, you start picking out players or groups of players within a team. You know, everyone does it. So I'm not being critical or anything. But I think the way the game is played now, it's a lot more about how individuals work within the team rather than saying, okay, these guys are going to be really good as a group within the team for this purpose. You know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely see what you're saying. I mean, the second group you mentioned are worth more than the sum of their parts. And as a collective, they probably bring more to their team. And I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to talk Brisbane down. Like those guys are very good and they're, they're all capable of kicking, you know, three plus goals. But, you know, just in terms of the overall team structure, like I think you just can't. You can't. That's like the unsexy thing to look at, but you can't really overlook mm. that. No, and then there's all the unnoticed hard running and pressure that the others do. Yeah, like for example, Pickett in that grand final, he barely touched it, but you know, everyone will tell you he was doing a lot of unrewarded running. He was putting on heaps of pressure, mm. not least of which he dove across the defender's boot to get that ricochet goal. So, you know, it's not all about the stats and the goals and everything like that there's a bit more to it than that and uh yeah i guess we'll be on the lookout for uh that throughout the season because that seems to be the only way you can really become a premiership team now you need to be that cohesive unit that are all completely in sync and you know no better example than uh you know the hawthorne richmond and melbourne teams of the last you know five or six years going back a little bit further now but that's the pinnacle and uh you know, other teams just got to find a way of reaching that, and it's not an easy thing to do at all. Yes, yes, we've definitely seen the benchmark set with those teams you've mentioned. Absolutely. Well, that's it for today. It's great to be back. Uh, thanks for jumping on, Dan. No problem. A lot of fun. And thanks to you all for tuning in. Hopefully your team does well in round one. And if you are going to the footy this week, make sure you ha- well, not only have a good time, but also take care. Not only is the virus still around, but judging by the city lately, uh, people have been very keen to get out and party hard, get a bit legless. <laughs> I know it's been a tough summer and we've been gagging for the footy, but drink responsibly, look out for each other, and just enjoy the game. Thanks again and bye for now. Bye, guys.